Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, during the newscast, we, of course, uh, heard about um, the situation presently in Soyuz. Many wealth Fires continue to rage here in BC and Canada and in 10 countries around the Mediterranean as well. Heat waves have blanketed much of North America, Europe and Asia. In fact, 21 of the 30 hottest days ever recorded globally occurred uh, July this year. This month is not only on track to be the hottest July on record, but also the hottest month ever. Uh, Certainly many have said, look, this is not just over the last 150 years or so uh, in regards to the records that we have, but some researchers researchers believe that the final temperature may be the warmest in tens of thousands of years. Joining me now to discuss this entire issue of the warmest July uh, ever is Andrew Weaver. He's a professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria and former leader of the BC Green Party. Andrew, thank you for joining us. A pleasure. Thank you for having me on my show. And sorry for the short delay. I was busy picking peaches that have ripened far too early this year. <laughs> not, not a problem. You have your priorities and good for you. That's that's very important, my friend. Let's just talk about the, the bigger issue here just for a moment. And I don't mean to, to make this depressing for people, of course, yeah. uh, be, but, but these are hard numbers, they're reality. Um, what does this say to you uh, in regards to moving forward? Not only just the news we're getting, but how do we respond to this news when, on the public policy side uh, on, on not only just government, but from, from, from industry as well? Yeah. So th- there's, there's an ongoing cognitive dissonance out there about the scale of the problem and what needs to be done. And there's kind of these uh, two parallel pathways moving forward. On the one hand, you have those who are becoming very anxious and, 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 and taking extreme measures to try to get governments to wake up to these things. These are the Extinction Rebellion folk, people who are throwing paint on paintings. I'm not sure how that helps anything, but, mm-hmm. but there, are, there are elements of our society very, very stressed by the problem. And there's other elements of our society who seem to think that it's not a big deal and um, that sometime it'll just fix itself. Well, it won't. Uh, the scale of the challenge is huge, but we have all the technology in place here in the world to deal with this problem if there is a will. Science can never answer that, right? Science Mm -hmm. can never say, should we preserve our um, environment for future generations, or should we just have a big party today and just let them pick up the scraps down the road? Uh, Unfortunately, I think most people think we should, um, but the uh, indications are, are not really very reassuring that we're doing anything. And as you know, Chance, I've been in this business as a climate scientist since the 1980s. I've seen it all before, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, at least people are talking about it now, uh, but it, we still have a lot, a lot to do. Mm-hmm. If, if, and it's, if you could wave a wand right now, uh, and king for a day, uh, yep. what would be two or three things that you would like to see done um, uh, in regards to actually having an impact? King, king for the day. I, I, that would be fantastic, wouldn't that be the benevolent <laughs> you, could, you could have other people picking your peaches is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> well, that's the first thing. They could go to pick my figs next because they're also far too early this year. Um, no, I mean, the, the, we know what the cause of the problem is. The cause of the problem are greenhouse gases arising from the combustion of fossil fuels. 
each and every person is part of the problem. And that's really empowering because each and every one of us is also part of the solution. The biggest magic wand would be, let's for BC, for example, is let's ask the question, where do our emissions come from in BC? Well, 40% of BC's emissions come from transportation. Mm-hmm. And so the magic wand in BC is let's get out of our a gas-powered car and let's get into you know, living closer to work if we can, more uh, efficient forms of transportation like e-bikes or, e- or uh, cars that have electric motors or walking or public transit. That, that is the biggest um, thing we could do in BC. But there's so many other things. You know, how many of us have old furnaces at home and, and putting in a heat pump, shifting away from natural gas and oil combustion to heat pumps saves you money, keeps you cool in the summer, and it's good for your health. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've got there, and there are incentive programs here. I mean, I, I just look when I go to the store, for example, when I look where I'm buying something from, I try to buy local. And why I'm doing that, because there's embodied emissions in the stuff that we buy. So if we have a choice between two apples, one from New, uh, Okanagan and the other from New Zealand, I'd be going for the Okanagan apple seven days out of seven because we know not only is it better, BC mm-hmm. apple, but it's produced closer to home. The bigger uh, uh, fixes will, re- I mean, from a government perspective, we really have got to stop subsidizing the oil and gas sector. It's outrageous mm-hmm. um, scale of the subsidies. Um, both in BC and elsewhere, because we're basically, you know, the role of taxation and regulatory policy is to, you know, put in place tax measures or regulatory policy on things that are bad for us and kind of incentivize those that aren't. Well, we seem to incentivize those that is bad. And it's taking a long time to introduce that which is good. There's no surprise there. If you're undercutting the market by subsidizing the oil and gas sector, then uh, no surprise. We should be focusing on value-added. What is our strategic strength here in British Columbia? Well, we are. Uh, we have access to enormous amounts of renewable energy. Why aren't we focusing on rejuvenating a manufacturing industry, a clean manufacturing industry, one that actually uses clean power to produce widgets? Perhaps in Terrace, where we have a, uh, you know, a, a, on a rail line to Prince Rupert, which is a gateway to Asia, and Chicago, which is a gateway to the East Seaboard. Mm-hmm. There's opportunities there as well. And so there's, I mean, I, I view every environmental challenge through the lens of the opportunity it creates for innovation. And that is where, we, where it's empowering because we're all, we can all do our little bit and our collective little bits is a big bit. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, if we get a, you know, everyone likes to blame governments and industry. Well, we elect governments and we buy crap, excuse my language, that industry makes. We have our power. We have power there, too. We have agency in all aspects of this problem mm-hmm. because we are consumers and we elect people. And, and, and so it's really about putting climate change in your, in your decision-making process on a day-to-day basis and recognizing that small differences, things that changes of our behavior, save you money and are good for the environment and actually preserve what we have for future generations. Now, as we talk, LNG uh, has been approved, the Cedar LNG project. It's a smaller project, but it's moving forward. It'll probably be another one with that. LNG Canada, the biggest project that was approved a few years ago, is in the midst of construction, which is two trains, but they want to move to four, which essentially is more uh, bigger refrigeration units for for our listeners, basically doubling in size. You've got the TMX pipeline close to being completed. you know, at the same time, you know, uh, we're still fighting over the the last sentence in a, in a piece of legislation. I recall many a long time ago, you mentioned that you don't need to have the most perfect. And I don't know how you phrase it, with the most perfect legislation. If it's eighty yeah. percent there, ninety percent there, you're still heading in the right direction. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So, in regards to the fossil fuels, the oil and gas, I mean, 
should we have a freeze in your mind moving forward? That just, there's just no more LNG industry after this. Whatever you've approved, you're approved. We're walking away from it after this? Well, well the gov- governments around the world have de facto agreed to that because they agreed in 2015 to the signing of the Paris Accord to keep lim- warming below two degrees and su- uh, substantially below two degrees. Well, in order to do that, the day they signed that, we had to immediately put a halt on any new construction of oil and gas uh, facilities anywhere in the world. That's what was signed. But I think they don't realize what they signed. And so people think that they can sign that and then go on busy in their merry ways doing the same old, same old. But no, you can't. So, so we've already broken one and a half degrees. We're, all, we're going to break two degrees. We've only realized 1.1 to 1.2 already. And the reason why I say we've broken uh, 1.5 degrees is there are things called pesky aerosols out there that even if we stop um, burning all fossil fuels around the world, we'll warm by another 0.5 degrees because of the fact that these aerosols actually cool the planet. And they're also produced as a byproduct of combustion of fossil fuels. So it's a very big problem. But again, you know, we should be investing in technology that does exist to draw carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and sequester it directly in deep uh, sedimentary basins, for example, under, at, under the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. We know where it came from. That's where it came from. Let's put it back there. Again, the technology exists. It's are people willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a bit like, um, you know, it's a, a, a really corny and overused kind of analogy, but it's a bit like putting a frog in boiling water. And by the time the frog realizes the water's going to boil, it's too hot to jump out. We're doing exactly the same thing, except there's 8 billion frogs on this earth, not all of whom have agency. Most, most people do. And certainly most of whom do, don't actually realize the seriousness of this issue. So, uh, but again, it's solvable. It's not like it isn't solvable. And the danger here is we always think that we'll solve it down the road. But unfortunately, that's not how the climate system works. The climate system responds to cumulative carbon emissions. We've put, already put up an awful lot. We all have an awful lot of, of unrealized warming as we equilibrate to existing levels of greenhouse gases. And um, what we need to do is start drawing those down as well. So I just want to confirm, when we signed, uh, the 200 countries uh, countries signed a, yep. the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015, they pledged to try to keep the long-term global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius yep. above the pre-industrial uh, period. Uh, so you're saying we're already past that, that even if we stop today, we couldn't 100%. stop that. So you're saying... Yeah. So is two two degrees Celsius something we could reach, or do you think that's just we should we should forget I, I, that? I don't think we will. I think it's all hands on deck for three degrees right now. Wow. And that's really really serious. Um, like humans have not existed on the face of this earth uh, at temperatures that we're heading to in the next couple of decades. Uh, you know, ecosystems have a struggle to adapt. You know, and and the thing is, if people actually want to go back in time, the climate science community has been saying the same thing. Well, you mean, I was driving you guys nuts in the legislature. As I would say, say the me. same thing, speech after speech <laughs> after speech after speech as well. Right? We've known what the problem is for decades. Mm-hmm. And what we're, what we're not doing is showing, I won't, I won't say political will, because it's partly political will. But it's also, I mean, I, I, I frankly think we should, um, it, it, it is a bit of an emergency. And I frankly think that like when smoking, we should not allow fossil fuel companies to advertise anymore. We should not allow them to lobby uh, uh, politicians because we know the historical effects of the ho- lobbying from the fossil fuel industry. And we know the historical damage that has been done by the fossil 
fuel industry in trying to undermine scientific credibility on this. There's lots of work being done on that. Mm-hmm. Frankly, it's time for payback. You know, you guys have you guys have undermined many of our abilities to move forward. And stop. Enough is enough. No longer can you lobby, and no longer can you advertise. I'm sick and tired, Jazz, of of, of, of hearing LNG Canada trying to claim that we're going to save China from themselves. It's a lot of hogwash. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. But perhaps it'll fall land nicely on a few people who. You know, who believe that we're good people in British Columbia, and we are, and that this is just doing our part for the global problem. We're not. We're actually doing our part to make the global problem worse because LNG from northeastern BC is deep, deep LNG, uh, natural gas. It is very inefficient to get it out. And frankly, I don't even think we're going to ship BC gas because there's no requirement in the statutes to do so. We'll be shipping conventional gas from, from. Alberta, if we ship any at all, because I still don't believe LNG Canada is going to, going to, I mean, same with TMX, right? The pipeline, who are they going to ship their stuff to? Like the market is, it's, it was the most egregious waste of taxpayers' money at a time that Kinder Morgan was trying to, you know, exit themselves from that project because the market collapsed on it. It, it was designed to uh, bring heavy oil to the California refineries with a predicated barrel of uh, oil at $150 a, a barrel. Well, it's discovered back in shale, and they don't need it anymore. So who's it going to go to? I don't know. But we're wasting billions of taxpayers' money as we try to maintain a status quo while the world burns around us. It just is like cognitive dissonance on steroids. Yeah. Andrew, uh, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to having you on. And it's a message, I think, that we – it's a conversation we need to continue to have because uh, we saw, as we continue to see this month, uh, huge challenges before us. And I really do appreciate your thoughtful oh, and pleasure. at and times I, blunt you know, comments. We, we can look to December. Australia is going to be on fire as the El Nino carries forward in December. So yeah. this isn't going away anytime soon, but it'll be Australia's turn uh, in a few months. Thank you so much, Andrew. Take care.